Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, You might have noticed that in our opening processional hymn, we did a quick run-through all of the stories that we have had over this Epiphany season, from uh, the Magi following the star, the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan, uh, the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, and now today's final reading in our Epiphany season. The story of the transfiguration on the mountain is always the gospel, the last gospel reading for the last Sunday of Epiphany before we enter into Lent. Because as each of those other readings has revealed something about the true character of Jesus, this one, in this one, the veil between earth's dimension and heaven's dimension, which is not up there, it is the parallel dimensions, the veil is drawn back between the two and the uh, Peter, James and John, uh, Jesus' close-knit community amongst his disciples, get to see in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly dimension, the true reality and the glory of Jesus. And he's not alone. He is flanked by Moses and Elijah, two very well-known Old Testament figures. Moses, who represents the law, Torah, and Elijah, who represents all of the prophets. So much of the Old Testament scriptures are represented by these two figures who are standing either side of Jesus and with whom he is in conversation. Just to set this story in its context, we hear eight days previously in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus has asked his disciples, first of all, who do men say that I am? And then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And it's at that point that Peter turns and confesses that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah. How that Messiahship is, he's not yet completely sure because his paradigm is that which has come through the tradition, through the Jewish tradition. And so they're thinking about uh, redemption from Rome, not the kind of redemption that this Messiah will actually bring. And so as they're sleepy, but they see Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, and they were speaking about his departure. That word in the Greek is exodus, and that's a familiar one for us. It means departure, but of course we know it means some other things for us as well, and certainly for the Jews of Jesus' day which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. See, that which Jesus had talked about immediately after 
Peter had confessed him as Messiah, which was that he was going to set his face for Jerusalem, where he would be handed over, betrayed, tortured, crucified, and then on the third day rise again. This is what Moses and Elijah are talking about. Amazingly, this mystery of why God became man to die for us is not known in the earthly dimension, but it is in the heavenly dimension. Moses and Elijah know all about it. They're talking with Jesus about his exodus, about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. And uh, we can see that there's, there's kind of this two depths on that word, aren't there? He will depart. He will die. But at the same time, he will bring about a greater exodus even than the one that God wrought through Moses by bringing the children of Israel out of slavery to Pharaoh through the Red Sea waters. That's the first exodus. But this is a much greater exodus because through his death, the new covenant gets inaugurated and the exodus that happens is the ultimate exodus, which is our exodus from sin. He provides for us a way out for us from the slavery of sin. And that's what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus' death on our behalf that provides this ultimate freedom that Messiah was going to bring, they thought, just for Israel, but is actually brought for the entire world. And once down from the mountaintop, Jesus has set his face for Jerusalem And that's where he goes, on that journey, so that that exodus will be fulfilled. And this coming Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we begin that journey with him. Whereas we've been looking at these revealing passages, these manifesting passages of the manifestation of the one who is both God and man, during this epiphany season, now we enter into that Lenten season where we slow down and we walk slowly with Jesus, getting even slower during the period of Holy Week as we just tread so slowly and quietly with him to the cross. So uh, on Wednesday we'll be inviting you into the observance of a holy Lent into that slowing down season where we look at the reasons in ourselves for the need for the Messiah to come to bring us into that exodus, that departure out of slavery to sin. But then here's Peter, um, who always is so impetuous 
And uh, I, I, wouldn't we be just there on the mountain seeing these two figures of Old Testament scriptures in their glory and Jesus in the fullness of his glory revealed on the mountain. Um, the fullness of his confession now opened up to him even more fully. And Peter says, oh, it's so good that we're here. Let's put up three booths, one for Moses, one for you, Jesus, and one for Elijah. And as he's talking, the cloud, which is the presence of the Lord, oftentimes when there's a manifestation of God's presence, it's accompanied by a cloud, kind of overshadows him as he's speaking, for we hear he knew not what he was saying. And the voice kind of speaks over Peter's impetuosity and says, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. See, the same voice, the same words at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he comes out up past the waters of the Jordan at his baptism are now spoken over him at the pivot point at the beginning of the end of his earthly ministry as he sets his face like flint for Jerusalem. See, sometimes God uh, says, yes, make a physical memorial for what has happened. He did that with the stones in the Jordan when Joshua and the tribes passed through the Jordan on dry land. But this is not one of those occasions. This is an occasion to be taken in, to be gathered in spiritually. It's a preparation for Jesus. It's a reminder of that which he knows, that he came for this. And it's an encouragement for Moses and Elijah to continue on on the journey that he knows he must take. It's also an encouragement for Peter, James, and John for the valley that they're going to walk in. They're going to walk through a dark valley. They don't tell the rest of the disciples immediately when they come down off of the mountain. They keep it to themselves, but surely this is given to them as a word of hope in the darkness of the valley days that will come. And it is also this final epiphany, this final revealing of the truth of this man who they have eaten with, who they have gone to wedding feasts with, who they have seen perform amazing miracles. This is the final revelation. This is a man in glory. This is a God-man, Jesus. This is truly Messiah, but a different Messiah. And when they descend, they descend down from the mountain into the valley and they are confronted with demonic activity, with suffering and despair in the person of a father and his ailing only son. And that which the disciples have been unable to do, Jesus does. 
he releases the boy from the demon and heals him with a rebuke of his word. See, God has said, listen to him. And we know that all the demonic persons, all demons, listen to him and have to obey him. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, whether in heaven or on earth. Listen to him. And the demons do and flee, and the boy is healed. See, in every single one of the Gospels, the mountaintop transfiguration story is followed by this valley story. The story of darkness, spiritual oppression, physical illness is followed in the valley. Because that's life. We don't get to live on a plateau. At least not many people I've met live on a plateau. Sometimes we get to be on a mountaintop. And that's a time for us to take in, to prepare us, either to help others who are in the valley, or to remember when we ourselves get into the valley. There are probably few amongst us who have not at some time or another been in the valley where there's sickness, where there is grief, where there are broken relationships, where there are addictions, where there is pain, where there is fear, where there is anxiety, and yes, even where there is despair. But we're also given a mountaintop. But we've got our have eyes to see. Sometimes it's in a sunrise. And there's that stirring in the heart that says, this is God speaking to me. This is God reminding me that he is the creator. That is God reminding me that I am made in love, for love. It might be in the birth of a child, It might be in a worship service. It might be in a time of deep prayer. We've got to have the eyes of our heart opened to recognize those mountaintops because they're given to us for the time in the valley. They're times of refreshing for the times of darkness because life is like that. Until we pass through the veil, that is the journey that we walk. In the words of N.T. Wright, for many, dramatic visions and spiritual experiences are balanced by huge demands. The more open we are to God and to the different dimensions of God's glory, the more we seem to be open to the pain of the world. We are right to be wary when we return from some great worship service, when we rise from a time of prayer in which God has seemed close and his love real and powerful. Those things are never given for their own sake, but so that, 
as we are equipped by them, God can use us within his needy world. So are you on a mountaintop? Be ready to comfort and bring hope to those in the valley. Are you in the valley right now? Burdened by your financial situation, drowning in grief, fearful for your health or the health of a loved one, struggling in your marriage or with an addiction, know this, beloved, there is a way out. And his name is Jesus. And we are to listen to him. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The road leads first to the cross and death. But he has defeated death. And beloved, he can surely overcome your experience in the valley and bring you once again into a green and pleasant land. Amen.